Welcome to another episode of I Own a Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and I don't think my next guest needs an introduction, especially if you're an IDOC member and probably even if you're not an IDOC member. I'm talking with Nathan Hayes today, and Nathan is IDOC's Associate Director of Financial Services. And as a lead-in, if things like inflation and rising payroll costs and what numbers should I be tracking and what do I do with them, if, if things like that are keeping you up at night, you came to the right place because that's what we're going to help you sort out. So, hey, Nathan, what's going on? Hi. Just exciting times in the industry. It certainly is. Um, you and I, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, we were at Vision Expo West and we had a dinner and and we sat down and, and you went up to the front and you sat down and there were no slides just your notes and and a spotlight on you and mm. you delivered a presentation called the sky is not falling so before we get more into the specifics of what we're going to talk about i was just curious if you could give a little bit of a a recap what are the key points from that why is the sky not falling i, I think that Fundamentally, it's this. We're in a country with an aging and growing population with a pool of eye care providers, whether it's optometrists, ophthalmologists, that is not going to keep up with the demand for care. And so whatever other pressures we see on um, the eye care space from either major industry players or the managed care environment or even the just macro economy, um, short to intermediate term, probably long term. Um, I just I think those fundamentals don't change and the demand for eye care is going to be such that, you know, private optometry is going to be fine. Um, that would be the Cliff's Notes version. And we can dig into some of those areas in this uh, discussion if we if we want to. Are you hearing that less that the there's too many eye doctors out there? Because for a while, I seem to be hearing that as new schools were going up, but I, the the numbers don't align with that. And I'm actually hearing it a little bit less now. I, I think that's right. I think people are realizing that um, you know, there's just a, I mean, hiring is hard everywhere. And and certainly the rural practices have always struggled and you always get the one-off that, you know, just bad luck. There's six providers in a town of 10,000. But um, no, I hear it less. I mean, the, the, if you look at, I, we have a pipeline problem in the profession, just broadly speaking. I don't, even with the new schools opening, the, the number of seats being filled hasn't gone up that much. Um, so, yeah, and, and couple that with the fact that this, I don't want to be too gendered in this comment, but like 65, 70% of new optometry grads are women. And and just statistically, they're not all going to have the same, you know, choices for work life. And frankly, the young guys don't necessarily want to work four to five days a week either. So. Um, you know, even if you're putting more optometrists through school, you're not necessarily getting the same number of patient care hours out of them. As that leads into maybe some of the more specifics we want to talk about benchmarks. So um, it, it change directions here a little bit, but not completely. What what would you consider as someone who works with, you know, closely with practice metrics, some of the benchmarks that practices should be tracking? Part B of this question that just came to my mind is we're talking through the changes in the industry, especially around payroll. What's changing with the benchmarks? You know, we used to have kind of these foundational metrics that we would look at, but now is it changing that much? Let's just say with rising payroll cost or rising costs of goods. Um, cost of goods, no, because the markup formulas will usually take care of that. I mean, yeah, you, you, so from a, we're going to talk about um, expense ratios, and and just remember, listeners, that you might have cost of goods, so what you spend on your lab bill, your contact lens distributor, your your frame bills, um, but that's being divided by the revenues of the business, 
And, and usually when, when there's an issue on the expense side, I'm actually going to start on the revenue side first, especially with you know, the amount of managed care we deal with. If something breaks in your revenue cycle in terms of getting paid by, by a third-party payer, um, a lot of times that explains the changes there. So I'll, I'll say that. Um, again, cost of goods, if you, you're keeping up with your markup formula, if your wholesale cost goes up, your retail price is going to go up. Yes, managed care eats into that somewhat. Um, but but I, I think that that piece I haven't changed that much, seen change that much. The interesting thing on payrolls is that yes, wages are going up, but there's also a labor shortage. And and so the two have more or less to this point. Um, and again, the the there are gonna be cases where payroll's gone up and it's just gone up. But uh, I think that the most practices have less staff, they're just paying them more. Um so so most practices are still sort of struggling to hire and, and maybe a little understaffed. Yes, wages are going up. I think the challenge is, I just don't know where it lands. Um, and that's true for doctor wages as well as staff wages. And, and we're just in a, in a muddy time. Um, and I think that, that we're going to have to see when, when things stabilize where we are and practices will retool. One, one thing I observed, just uh, I was thinking about it for this um, conversation, we talk about benchmarks. I mean, benchmarks are a reflection of what most practices do. So they're reflective of what's happening organically in offices. And so I, I don't believe in shooting on people's practices. Like, I can't tell you what your practice should look like. I can tell you how you compare you to what's normal. So we don't have to edit. That's S-H-O-U-L-D. All right. Just I don't believe listening. in shooting on practices. Yes, it's a kind, of, a kind of risque. I've heard you say that before, so I know what you risque said. Risque play on words. Dangerously close um, to it. Dangerously close. <laughs> uh, I also don't do the other thing to practices. Um, I, I, we try to be very positive with our with our members. Um, but I, I, so most practices intuitively kind of know where they want to go. And a lot of my job with benchmarks is actually just affirming, yes, that's the right decision. The, the metrics back up that you need more staff, you need more space. You're due for new OD. Sometimes it's to say, Hey, this just looks out of line. Let's figure it out. But, but usually it's that, um, on, honestly, if you wanted to know the most important benchmark in a practice, it's, it's, um, is your schedule full and, and there's just no substitute for filling the schedule. And a really interesting, uh, just quick back of the envelope fun thing to do is look at the number of comprehensive exam slots you have a day times what your average revenue per exam is, multiply it by how many patient care days you have a week, however many weeks a year you work, and then come up with a number that if your schedule was completely full, what your revenues would be. And for most owners, it's shocking. I'll tell you this right now, uh, four to, uh, five days a week, 14 comprehensive exam slots a day. 48 weeks a year at $300 per exam, which is below average, that's a million dollars in production. And I've had conversations with owners where we were really frustrated. The associate's revenue per exam just was nowhere close to the owners. And you go look at their metrics and the associate's producing 1.2 million just because they filled the schedule. So um, that that would be, if you want to know metrics to track that that are outside sort of the, the financial statement side of the world, just fill the schedule because revenues are everything and and um, you know, it's, it's hard not to make more money and be more profitable if you're, if you're growing your revenues, it's possible, but it's hard. The, the issue of cost of goods, I don't know if you've heard the same thing, but some of the early concern was that if I raise my price, patients are going to be aware of that and they're not going to want to pay those prices. My personal feeling is everything's gone up. Yeah. Groceries to going out to, to dinner, to gas, to everything you play. So I don't, I don't think there's a as much sticker shock to things as there used to be. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I, there's certainly some some commentators in the sort of media space that 
you know, want to bang on corporations for just price gouging. But the reality is if, if your inputs get more expensive, you know, businesses can't sustainably just eat that cost. Um, so I, I, I agree. I, I haven't, I haven't talked to anyone whose patients balked at, at prices going up and everyone knows we're, I mean, we're all complaining about it and looking at it. And, um, so I, I agree with that. I don't, I don't think it's that big a deal. So I know there's not one absolute answer to this, but the topic of payroll, because that's a big part of the, uh, that's a yeah. big benchmark, your, your staffing. Mm -hmm. And with the challenging environment that we're in right now, where we used to say before, if you're booked out for a certain period of time, let's figure out a way to see more patients, hire more staff, mm -hmm. uh, get more, you know, build up your, um, your, your employee base, but it, that's become more challenging. And a lot of the, mm -hmm. the commentary we'll hear is that, well, even if I hire people there, they don't stick around very long. They're not very good. What are your thoughts? I mean, what should, again, I know this is individual for each practice, but yeah. there are a lot of practices saying we're going to operate more lean. Yeah. And we're going to cut back. And, and for some, they've used it as an opportunity to, to drop some vision plans and do things maybe they wanted to do before, but just saying it, it's too much of a struggle to try to deal with the staffing. So we're going to operate more lean and make the best use of that versus the office that that is booked out for weeks or months that really needs more staff. What, what is your, what is the balance there? I mean, what, what is the right answer? I, I think um, th there's a lot there. Um, let's take the, the vision care plan piece first. So um, you're scheduling out six weeks, you're struggling to staff yourself um, and, and trying to, add, again, like the, the labor market is, it wasn't great before COVID. It's a lot worse now. I don't know when that fixes itself, but it stands to reason that over time it will come to something more like normal. Um, so again, we're, we're in a moment of time where we're still in the COVID moment and unwinding stuff that happened there. And I, I don't know how long it's going to take, but we're there. So it's not, none of this stuff is, I, I think, forever, but it's, you know, is it another couple of years? Maybe. Um, it, it does make, at some level, if you just don't have the capacity to see all the patients that want to be seen by your practice, it, it can make sense to just say, you know what? Um, yeah, we're going to fire, you know, the patients that are, we're just going to focus on the patients that are the most valuable to us, that we enjoy seeing the most, what have you. Um, I, I think one of the things I've been learning in, in my consulting and, and partnering with some financial advisors is there's another layer of that, like do your long-term financial planning too, to make sure that you're on pace to meet your goals. So um, I've had owners who I work with, it's like they, they suddenly grew to six locations across state lines. They had this huge complex operation and you kind of ask, like, did you really mean to go there? And they really didn't. They were just running scared and they never stopped to ask how much is enough. Um, other owners who just don't want the, I mean, they don't want the complexity of having a bunch of staff. Every staff member you hire is one more human being time bomb that could blow up your culture. And so they just don't want the complexity of that. And I think if you're going to intentionally keep your practice small, I think the real burden is just make sure that you have a savings plan to meet your long-term financial goals. And you're not just making a, a decision now about convenience and not thinking about the long-term implications. But if you can, th that's a different way to answer that question. But if you want to, if you're in that space of wanting to keep the practice small, do the long-term financial planning, make sure that you're on pace to save enough to sustain your lifestyle into retirement. Um, because not only are you going to have less income to save and build wealth over your career, but your practice also is just going to be less valuable. And, and very few people um, are, are going to sell their practice for enough that it really like funds their retirement. Although it's a, it's a big asset. I don't want to minimize that. Um, but if you're going to intentionally stay small I and mean, it stands to reason the practice is worth less, like your duty to save is going to be stronger and higher, harder. So what you else was that question? 
Yeah, no, it, it, it did. I, and you mentioned, um, you mentioned a few times now meeting your goals. So if Nathan Hayes owned an optometry practice right now, what, what would you set as your goals? Maybe both short-term and long-term, what would you target? Oh gosh. Um, because I bring this up because a lot of practice owners try to build bonuses around this and it might be a quarterly goal. It might be yearly and sometimes it works, yeah. but other times the struggle is, well, we set a goal, but the staff didn't do anything differently in your process of helping doctors set up some kind of an incentive plan, which I know you get that question a lot. Is there anything that you, uh, and I know it's a leadership issue too. Sometimes it's, it's not yeah. so much what the, the objective is, but are you driving the process? Well, yeah, I mean, so there's there's sort of leadership staff goals piece and there's owner goals. I mean, owner goals, I think, you know, I'll, I'll frame it around how much income do you want or need to be taken out of your business? How much control of your time do you want? So free time versus making more money and then just managing the stress of ownership. So that that's that's one thing. And by the way, revenue growth may not be part of that goal set, in which case, you know, you, you sort of shift away from um, – that, and that's what we're talking about in terms of cutting vision care plans, throttling back to practice just based on staffing and, and other issues. So you, you're going to have to be real creative about how you measure stuff within that if you're focused on patients. And then you get into standard of care um, and maybe revenue per exam being the metric you're tracking. So, hey, we're going to see less patients, but we want to make sure we're delivering a higher standard of care to those patients that are willing and able to pay for it. And um, you know, maybe that's how you measure it. Online reviews. Um, you know, retention, some, some questions in there. If you ask me in a vacuum, like, Hey, what's, what's the right growth goal for a practice? Um, and, and I'm almost never going to just sort of baseline, Oh, you should just keep your practice flat and make your current income. Like, I, I just don't think that works. Um, for seasons it can, but I think in the long run, you're going to have to to focus on growth at some point. Um, I'll usually say that two things. One, the goal needs to be enough that it forces you and your team to change and do things better or different. Um, and so a lot of times when practice set goals, they just set them way too easy. And, you know, if you have an incentive tied to it, it just becomes effectively a raise and no one has to change. They so just show up and they're going to achieve that. So it needs to be enough that you have a 50, 50 shot of hitting it. And you're, you can talk about, we have to do things differently if we're going to achieve this goal. I like to set goals in dollars too. And usually I'm going to say something in the hundred to $200,000 a year of revenue growth collected. Um, and then what, what I'll say is, you know, back into that and say, okay, at our, at this revenue per exam, we need to see this many more patients a week and then go figure out how you're going to get more patients in the door and keep the schedule again, come back to filling the schedule. Um, but it also could be, we want to increase our standard of care and, and have higher revenue per exam. Um, but that, that's a, that's a starting point there. I think percentages are just confusing to people. I mean, I had a $600,000 office email me a year ago or so and say, should we set our growth goal at six or 8% or 10%? like, nah, let's go for 30, you know, and, and that's where dollars start to make more sense of it. So I hope that, that helps on that. Yeah. And my but, issue with, with goal setting has always been on, you know, getting beyond just setting that, you know, the goal itself, which is really just a lagging indicator. If what you're yeah. doing is working or not, or are we hitting mm -hmm. it? But a lot of times what I'll ask, cause I get those questions too. Well, we're going to set a goal for X percent production growth or what, you know, multiple pair sales, okay, great. What are you going to do? What is your staff going to do that's going mm -hmm. to drive that result? And that yep. a lot of times you just get a long pause at that point. Well, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I just thought they would be incentive enough that they would do something differently. Do what yeah. differently? Like clarify what what exactly they need to do. Yeah. Um, you, you and I are both big fans of Chip and Dan Heath. And, and they have this idea of like, you have to map the path for people. Mm -hmm. You can't just throw it out and say, hey, just go achieve. 
Um, I mean, you, you need to be much more granular in terms of the, what are the, the action steps your teams need to take to get there. And the other thing to think about is most of your staff really probably aren't that motivated by more money. I mean, they're not going to say no, but I, I have a, a hunch that most bonus plans work not, not because the incentive really changed behavior, but because um, the staff actually had measurable result areas that they were conscientious enough that they wanted to achieve. And it's the measurements that drive results as much as the incentive. If I were selling a practice in five years, because mm-hmm. we talked about goal setting and it's, it's always a different discussion with somebody who's 30 versus somebody who's 60. Yeah. Right. The Although it's, it's really, this is a really good discussion. Wherever you are in your career, you should be thinking at some level at your exit plan and, and just kind of having your practice ready to go. Because we have had owners who got a car accident, couldn't work, got you know severe illness and couldn't work anymore at a younger age than expected and, and having the practice sort of ready to transition is a, is a healthy thing on that, but finish your question. I'm cutting you off. So, Sorry. yeah, no, that's very true. At any point in your career, looking at that, you know, what, what does that, what the infinite game I think is uh, yeah. a book by Simon that, that um, focuses on that. If I'm selling my practice in five years, mm-hmm. if I'm in that point in my life, what would you advise me that I, I need to change or focus? Is it just growth? What, what is my uh where, where does my focus need to be at that point in the um in my career yeah uh two things i mean at that point it's it's one know your number in terms of where you are from a saving standpoint and where the practice needs to be because that could either give you permission to coast into retirement or it could be lighting a fire to say we need to push this practice forward and and get it to be worth a little more um when, when it comes time so that that's one thing to be thinking on the other thing is and this is um I think a lot of owners miss this. You need to make the practice depend less and less on you. So I worked with an owner who, it was sad story. Her husband had terminal cancer. She's looking to transition. And her intuition was, well, I should just work hard for the next six months to pump up my number so I can sell it. And I said, you've got that backwards. You should hand off as many patients to your associate as possible. Because if you're not going to be there anymore, whatever revenues you're driving, no one's going to assume they're going to keep anyway. And as it happened, by doing that, we actually persuaded the associate that she could carry the load on her own, and she ended up buying them out. So um, for most owners, we're going to focus on on two areas. One is that patient care, getting the owner as far removed or having a plan to sustain the revenues and, and patient care hours post-exit for the owner. And, and the other piece is management acumen. And, and are you keeping all the intelligence about running your practice in your head? A new Just put yourself in the shoes of a new owner not necessarily private equity, but if you're selling to a private OD, um, is the team in place that that knows how to how to run your practice going to be there? I, I talked to another owner who's looking at buying a practice and the sellers intended to take all the staff with them because they had two locations. It's like, well, that doesn't work at all. Like you can't, million one practice, they're going to take five, six staff out and the, the, what's the seller going to do? Come in and see a million dollars worth of patients with no help? hire and train a staff from day one. So just think about the transferability of your practice. Can someone else step into there and generate, you know, expect to generate the same results or better and be positioned to grow. But patient care hours is a big one. And then in the management knowledge on that. Um, there was another question you'd ask earlier that maybe we come back to on like, how do you deal with staffing right now? Um, and so one answer was a question of like, do you throttle the practice? Do you not grow and just deal with it? The other one is, if you're limited on staff and their wages are going up, the burden becomes um, you've got a hit on your employees and you have to be creative on getting jobs done. So um, there are practices, there always have been practices that 
pay above whatever the average wages are to just attract better people. And I know not every market's going to have better caliber candidates that you can just pay more for, but there are practices that just know, hey, we're going to pay 45,000 ahead or 50,000 ahead, and we're going to make do with one or two less staff than a practice our size would normally carry. But our team is so good that we're just, we can do that. So that, that's one, one way to approach the labor market. The other one is just look at how you can outsource stuff. So, um, you know, billing and revenue cycle management would be one area that a lot of times you'll spend less outsourcing that to a firm that's very efficient at it um, than you would on an internal biller who is maybe at risk of leaving the practice and, and you know, just may, may not do as good a job. So you can get creative in terms of what can you outsource from the practice, certainly within IDOC's realm. Um, we have a bookkeeping service that maybe we'll get to eventually where, hey, you could just outsource that and pay us 450 a month as opposed to having a, a manager do it without however much over time or our inventory management service was right to take over a third of an optician's role. So there, there's areas you could you could delegate and outsource to help patch over a, a lean team. Um, and in some ways on that transition discussion, actually have a more um, stable system for running your practice for the next owner. And I do want to ask about books and benchmarks before I, I get that, since you've started doing that, I did a, a podcast um, several episodes ago. If anyone's listening, they can go back and find it. I think it was the second one we did with Haley Stewart, who's on our finance team. And I think mm -hmm. it was called the biggest blunders people make on the, on the metric side, on the tracking their financials. So mm -hmm. you don't need to elaborate as much as we did on, on a 45 minute podcast, but working with doctors and especially mm -hmm. now you have more visibility to, to their books in a, uh, you know, a quick summary of what have you seen as some of the biggest mistakes that you see? I, I think, so maybe I'll answer a little differently, not, not so much mistakes, but just reality. So one, um, we've certainly learned that whoever's doing the books, whether CPA, the doctor owner, even, or a manager, you know, very few of those people are actually gifted at keeping books and doing double entry bookkeeping. So mistakes abound on the balance. You would kind of expect it with owners, um, you know, you got an optometrist trying to do double entry bookkeeping, like you're not trained for that. So things, but even managers who may have a little background, like a lot of times you're just, you know, guessing your way through QuickBooks and there's some technical skill to that and knowledge to do it right that can come back and bite you. The, the surprising thing has been many of the CPAs doing books. I mean, they, they're really just there to um, produce a tax return. And so they're not keeping books in a way that's reflective of your business. That, that's just an observation on the mistakes. I think where I'd come at it, I've had a couple of conversations with owners in the past couple of months where the owner is very much like, I, I want to be doing my own books. I feel in control when I do it. You know, I know that it's reconciled. And by the way, one of those owners, they weren't actually reconciled. But, um, and so I asked the owner like, hey, do your books mean anything to you? Do your, does your P&L mean anything? I have no idea what this means. So you're doing all the work and it doesn't tell you anything about your business. That doesn't really square for me. So I think with financial statements, the thing to realize is you have to file taxes based on your income. And that's that's a number that's important and interesting. But your financial statements can be so much more in understanding your practice. So, you know, just having a coherence to how it's laid out that that makes sense for eye care and helps you benchmark your practice against other practices using the seven key expense areas as categories, helping owners have visibility on what their actual income is. Because the thing about a lot of books is, the way we do payroll, you can't tell how much the owner's making. You got one lump sum payroll number that has staff, associate doctors, owners, and you look at the PL, I have no idea how much the owner's making. 
And just to split out your income as a separate line item and then have the, the other profit items so you can see, oh, I'm making X from my business is, is really helpful. And it's one of the areas we add value. I think the other one is, is just um, cash flow and um, understanding cash in the business. I mean, interestingly, most owners sit on, in my opinion, way too much cash. And I understand post zombie apocalypse COVID that people are feeling a little defensive and there are people who are saving for a down payment on a building. Fine. Um, but your practice, like extra cash in your practice right now in an 8% inflation environment is it, just, it's reckless. That money is just losing value sitting there. And if your business doesn't need it, you're far better off getting you know, one, just get it out because you're being taxed on it. Most of you. And, um, you know, it, it's not helping your practice. Um, but two is, I mean, someone's just demonstrating the value of the business, get the money out, put it to work, um, and, and put it, I mean, one of the reasons that, and I'm not a financial advisor, so talk to your own wealth advisor, but one of the reasons you invest in the stock market is to protect the value of your money by putting in assets that are growing faster than inflation or historically do, you know, right now, not so much, but over time, um, that, that's why you do that. And right now it's just, it's, it's a deadly time to sit on cash. So this brings us full circle as we close out here. We talked about payroll and the struggles with hiring staff and what should we outsource and what should we really focus on getting back to 80-20, right? What's the 20% of the things that as an owner, they really need to focus on that's going to drive the most results. I think this is an obvious one. After talking with you and I'm talking with Haley, the number of mistakes and as you described it, the reality of just the yeah. doctors were not trained in this and there's some things are, are good enough and this may not be good enough in terms of the um, the relevance of being able to track and utilize accurate numbers. So if you're not a CPA or a financial expert or a, actually, a I mean, frankly, even if you're a CPA, like a bookkeeper is a different role. Mm -hmm. And, and no, just, I meant if you're not, I was being sarcastic. Yeah. If, you're, if okay. you don't have that level of expertise and most have yeah. a CPA, but yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit too? Cause I, I don't know if people realize the difference now that you brought it up. So, um, you know, a CPA is going to focus their time on understanding the tax law and and how to prepare returns and know like what's deductible, what's not, what are strategies for for mitigating taxes and just you know planning for taxes. It's really focused on that tax question. Um, and and you, if you look at your agreement with your CPA, you're they're basically telling you like, hey, we're going to take what you give us and just spit that in a tax number. So even if they're doing your books, they're taking what you give them, whether it's a shoebox of receipts at the end of the year and reconstructing it. And, and again, all that, I want to be too broad. What we've seen is a lot of CPAs, if not most, just try to get to a tax number. And so the financial statements they produce don't really tell you anything about how the business is doing and, and help you understand its expenses. So that, that that's, I think, how I'd answer that. And then, of course, like if you got owners and managers doing it, you're just guessing at that and, and everyone's balance sheets wrong because i'll tell you they're all wrong because you just make up your inventory number oh we have 600 frames and the average cost is 70 dollars, and so we have forty-two thousand inventory um and, and it's the the reality is is as much as um people worry about the state of the profession I, i'll say that the vast majority of practice owners are fat and happy and i know they are because their financial statements are all wrong and it doesn't matter they're all doing fine they're making plenty of money their practices are profitable and cash flowing. Um, and again, maybe there's selection bias for the doctors that want to talk to us, but I just don't see that many owners that struggle to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. You do see them, but it's not that common. 
So um, just if, for those who, who aren't aware, IDOC launched a service called Books and Benchmarks, and that's what we've been alluding to. So if we could just close out here, um, Nathan, just uh, tell us a little bit more about how that works. I, yeah. how, how do you work so, with clients? And, and, and maybe the find- story is this, like the best data set for, for overhead and productivity benchmarks that, that I know that's public was the MBA data set from Essilor and then SIBA Vision in the, you know, the late, uh, you know, like 2008 to 2012, that data was being compiled. Um, I know there's other consultancies that'll do some benchmarking, but there's really not. I just wanted a more up-to-date set on overhead, profitability, productivity. And the conclusion, having worked with doctors um, for over a decade, is we had to control their books to trust the numbers coming out. And and, and frankly, like we, also, this is a service that doctors need help with. Um, you know, if the owner's keeping it to themselves, their manager's doing it, it's being done poorly and rarely. And so we could add value to practices by just keeping their books. So we will, in books and benchmarks, it's bookkeeping and benchmarking. Um, We will do monthly um, reconciliation of your accounts and QuickBooks and categorization of expenses. We'll give you support with payroll in terms of adding employees, uh, dropping employees, making sure the benefits match up between um, your payroll software and and your financial statements. Um, And then we're taking all that data from our members from both the the financial statements and and the payroll database and running benchmarks on overhead profitability cash flow on we'll be adding in a, the next module will be around you know what are your labor ratios what's your revenue per nonity staff how many patients are you seeing per nonity staff what's their average pay how do you benchmark different wage scales for different roles in the office so having control of that data or having access to it just gives us a rich live data set on on what's happening in practices that we can report back and benchmark and be smarter for ourselves and help our members both um, contextualize their business and make better decisions. I mean, I mean the reality is most pr- owners call me and they're concerned about expenses. Most practices don't need to cut costs. In fact, most practices need to spend more on their, on their businesses. And, and, you know, coming back to the labor discussion, if you want good people, you're going to have to pay more for them. Um, it's just it's just reality. And and so, you know, using your your benchmarks can help give permission to spend money in some ways and also help you understand, like, hey, if we're going to spend more, what kind of results are we looking for? That comes back to the goal setting discussion as well. Where would people find out about books and benchmarks? IDOC.net slash books and benchmarks, I believe, is the URL. Um, and certainly if you're an IDOC member, talk to your practice development manager. Um, you can reach out to me and I'm happy to tell you more. Um, the service is $450 a month for IDOC members, $550 for non-members. So even if you're not an IDOC, we'd love to help your practice and support you there. Um, there's a, a one-time fee for setting things up and just getting everything configured to our, our system, but would would love to, to talk more about it. We've got um, over 75 locations signed up in the past 10 months or so. So I'm very excited about that. We've just added three new bookkeepers. Um, so we're we're growing the side of our business. The uptake's been great. Um, our financial statements are excellent. Uh, even owners that did well are like, oh gosh, this is so much easier to understand. I really like this. So um, even if you feel like you have a handle on it, it may just be that, and maybe especially if you have a handle on this, there's stuff in your practice that's probably a higher order thing that you should be focusing on than this. So um, there's my pitch <laughs> to, to owners everywhere. Uh, well, thank you, Nathan. Thanks for your time. I always enjoy picking your brain on the topic of math. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do much today, um, but it's fun. And, and again, I'll, I'll just say most owners intuitively land where they need to be. Um, so 
um, your practice, you know, this guy's not falling, guys. Your practices are broadly fine. It's a choppy moment, and um, the profession's healthy as far as I can see. The sky is now falling. Great place to to close out there. So very positive. Um, <laughs> well, thanks, thanks so much, Nathan. Really appreciate your time, and uh, appreciate anyone who's listening. So, if you would like more information about IDOC and books and benchmarks, and and how we work with ODs to help them grow the uh, grow their practice, you can find out more at IDOC.net. So, thanks, Nathan, and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Steve.